to do. And our passage today is actually Acts chapter 13, verses 15 through to verse 39. Okay. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed... I just read it wrong, I'll start on verse 13. Apologies. Verse 15 to 39. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt, where mighty power led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for forty years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one, no. But he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets I read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers... I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. 
And let's just pray. Lord, I pray as we come to explore this passage now, that you'll speak to each and every one of us, including myself, that lives may be transformed through hearing your word. Amen. And this is a wonderful passage. Marvellous in many ways. One way in particular is that we see Paul rises up and actually tells the gospel to a synagogue in Antioch. The very man Paul who, who basically just wants to kill every single Christian he ever could. That was his aim in life for the vast majority of his life until actually Jesus came and transformed his life. And at this moment, he actually declares the gospel instead. And this occurred after Pentecost, something which we are looking forward to right now as a church. We are in the fourth Sunday of Eastertide. We are still waiting until Pentecost in three weeks' time. And right now we remember what happened on the cross. We remember the Easter week. We remember Christ dying for us and being raised again. And we think about that as we await his Holy Spirit to come and empower us to share that message. And for us, we are still waiting in that Jerusalem for that time. We are waiting for Pentecost at this moment in our church calendar. But as we eagerly await that, part of our wait means looking at this passage. A passage in which the church, through the witness of Paul, explores just what was achieved for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They just arrived at Antioch, and we know if you look at the, the speech, you look at what actually happened afterwards, God did many mighty things in Antioch. But here we have the synagogue saying to the church to tell them a message. Have you an exhortation for us? That's what they asked Paul. They say, have you got a message for us? Have you got an exhortation? An exhortation, literally translated, is urging someone to do something. Have you got a message that urges us to do something today? And Paul certainly does that. He stands for the people and he urges them to accept Jesus. And he uses all his knowledge of Judaism and the history to look at the history of Israel, look at salvation history, the way in which God has brought his salvation to the world and how that points to Jesus. He explores various important figures in the past, emissaries of the message of God. And he begins with the deliverance from Egypt all those years ago, he begins with an image of freedom and liberation. God chose your ancestors, the Israelites. And in that we see that God chose them. They did not do anything special to achieve that, but God actually did choose them and sent them out. And in that we see Paul begins to pull apart the legalism. He says, actually, you haven't done anything to deserve it, but God sent you out anyway. And we see in that there's a physical freedom. They are led out of Egypt into a new promised land, into a new opportunity for God, and that's a freedom brought through Moses, through what God did with Moses. And then we jump to the time of Judges. Interestingly, Paul here just goes straight to Samuel. He doesn't bother with Samson. He doesn't bother with Ehud or Deborah. He doesn't bother with any other judges whatsoever. He just skips straight to Samuel. And why does he do that? Well, it does that because under Samuel, they actually rejected the idea of judges. 
The Israelite nation rejected the idea of God being their king and said, we want our own king like everybody else. And God allowed it, even though at that point they rejected God's leadership. He allowed it and said, right, are you ready for this? Good or bad king, you've got to pay the taxes, do what they say. And we, in reality, know that even the best kings, even David and uh, Solomon, even David and Solomon, are nowhere near as good as the leadership of God for Israel. And even we as a church today, we don't like the idea of having a king over ourselves, do we? We prefer to have God. Instead, we don't have an absolute authority over ourselves. And Paul examines these kings. He examines in particular David. He notes that David sought God's heart. But rather than delve into the highs and lows of David's reign, he passes over David and looks to the future. And he looks instead to the promised descendant of David, somebody the Jews have been waiting for for years and years and years, and they still wait for him, even though we say that that is Jesus, and we've accepted Jesus as that promised descendant and what Jesus did. Still they wait. And he's one who's so great that the Jews still anticipate it today. And at that moment, he just quits the job of looking at the history. He quits entirely, looks at Jesus instead. It shows how John the Baptist was a great man. He likens him to Isaiah 40. It says, prepare the way for the Lord. He is that messenger who calls in the wilderness. But even John, even though he's a great man, he sees himself as nothing in comparison to Jesus. I mean, John said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. To untie the sandals of Jesus was a slave's job. Even the followers of the rabbis would not do that one. He viewed himself as less than a slave to Jesus because he saw Jesus as being so great. And then Paul focusing on his listeners instead. Any who reads these words are part of that exhortation. The one he gave that day also applies to us today. Jesus came for all of you, Paul cries out. He was rejected, he was punished, he was crucified. But he does not decay. Everything else in the world dies and falls away once done, but Jesus does not. And also in this, it's a call to not make the mistake of Jerusalem. Don't kill the king. They, they killed Jesus. They did not recognize him. And instead he says, don't do what they did. Accept who Jesus is. And Jesus is the good news long awaited. The wait is over. The Messiah has come. And this was a reinstatement of the entire history of the world. It's a whole change. At that moment, you have a Messiah. He's the one, and it changes how we view history. And it changes the entire existence of things as well, and how us, ourselves, understand history after hearing that message. But because before they were waiting, there was a hope afar off, and yet at that moment, the hope was here, and they could accept Jesus and receive his salvation. Now, for many Jews, they expected a mighty king, but they didn't get that, did they? They got a humble servant instead, a humble servant of God, who we believe is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that humble servant says to us, we can all have salvation. And what is salvation? That's a a word so often used. What does it mean? Well, one definition, definition would say salvation is a deliverance from sin and its consequences. And another would say it's the preservation or deliverance from harm. 
ruin or loss. And both seem true. Salvation is when we are saved from our own ruin and given a new lease of life, an eternal one in Jesus. Jesus tells in the Bible that he is the way, the truth and the life. He is the only one to God. And yesterday, when I was at Shekinah, we, we explored that idea and an interesting point that was said was Jesus is the way because he's the only one who's gone the entire way. He's the only one who's gone to heaven and sent his spirit to us. All the other religions, all the other leaders in our history, they've just died and they've not gone to that point. They've not sent the spirit back to guide us. But actually Jesus has and so he is the way because he's the only one who can actually guide us. Who can lead us the way all the way there to heaven. The rest can just lead us to the end of our lives and that's it. But actually Christ leads us the entire way. And Jesus' truth is that in him we have eternal life because he died for all of our sins and blotted them out. And the life with Jesus is eternity with him in the place he has prepared us. Because as we say the way, he said, I'm going now to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, that place is there for you and I'm going to take you there. And so he guides us on that way to that place he's prepared for us in the life we have with him through the truth that we can believe that we are forgiven through him. And Jesus is the only way to God, which means for us that the only way to God is on our knees before him as we bow down and confess, as we sung earlier on. And if we do, that is granted to us immediately because God loves us. And God says, if you ask for my forgiveness, I will forgive you straight away because I love you that much. And for me, what's really struck me recently is that whole passage in Romans 5 about how Christ died for us. And I was even shamed with somebody this week. We both said it at the same time. That Christ died for us at just the right time whilst we were still sinners. And that's a wonderful image of what God does for us. That he loves each and every one of us. And he's a God that's so loving he came to the world not to judge it, but to save it from harm, ruin and loss. To give us salvation. And in this passage, Paul calls the Jewish people and the Gentiles to each and every one of us who is created by God, and we believe that we are all created by God, so it applies to all people. We are called to accept that message. To accept that Jesus really did die on the cross for each and every one of us. And the challenge for us as Christians is whether or not we would die for him. And Paul calls his listeners to turn to Jesus. He reminds them of scriptures they know. He says, look, today we've become his children. Look, God promised that Jesus would never see decay. And that passage, everybody thought, was about David. They all thought, now David has lived his life, he will not see anything bad again. He gets the eternal rest with God, it's going to be great. Because David has served God for so long, God is going to bless him. And then Paul says, well actually no, it's all about Jesus. It's actually about Jesus instead. Because maybe David will be in heaven with God, and maybe he wouldn't decay in that way, but at the same time he has decayed. His body has decayed, he is buried with his fathers, and actually the person who really will not decay is Jesus, because he has risen from the grave, he is alive. And the death could not, death could not hold him, and the grave could not stand him. All hells broke loose, did all hell literally broke loose and Jesus smashed down the barriers of sin and the barriers of death. The barriers of alienation and condemnation. He broke down the barriers between us and God. 
and says to us, come to me all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And that was also a passage we looked at yesterday, the idea of the yoke. Because as we learn, there's two types of yoke. There's one that you wear to carry things, and there's one the animals wear to guide them as well. And they're both useful in their own way. One helps you to carry heavy loads, and one helps to guide new animals in the way to go by older animals. But at the same time, each one holds us back. Each one we are called to cast off. A yoke that we carry upon ourselves as weights and burdens, and Jesus says to them, let me take them instead. And also with the other type of yoke, the one that goes on the cows, well, interestingly enough, Elisha, when called by Elijah to follow him, what did he do at that moment? He pulled the yoke off his animals, he smashed it up and burnt it as a sacrifice to God and said, actually, I'm going to move forward now. There's no yoke holding me back. And he went and followed God and became Elijah's successor. Because that was the one thing holding him back. He said to Elijah, I just need to sort things out. And Elijah says, you do whatever you want, I'm going. And at that moment he does as well. He breaks up the yoke. He sets it on fire. He offers it as a sacrifice to God and moves forward as well himself. And we all have yokes and we need to remove those yokes from ourselves. We need to pray to God for those yokes to be removed because the freedom of Christ is we can have those yokes took off us. We can be released from that. Now we can receive that rest in Jesus by doing that. By accepting Jesus into our lives, by receiving his salvation. But for all to receive that salvation, for every single person in the world to receive that salvation, the rest of the work must be done first. The hours must be put in. Christian men and women and children need to rise up, as Paul did, and testify to Jesus when asked about the hope they believe in. Even if they're asked in a ridiculing manner. And maybe even especially in those moments. And it's so important we do because in Christ we have a freedom. Paul says in the final two verses of this, of this talk, of this speech he does to the synagogue, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to receive under the law of Moses. Justification is also translated as freedom. There is a freedom under Christ you do not have under Moses. There is a freedom under Christ each and every one of us does not have without Jesus Christ in our lives. Now we know from exploring our Bibles, we know about the story of Israel. We know how they received physical freedom, how they were saved. But actually through Jesus we also know we have an even greater freedom. The freedom of Jesus is the entire freedom from sin. From all those barriers that hold us back from God. We don't become sinless. We're still sinful, but we go from obstinate and sinful to repentant and sinful. It's how we change our hearts and our lives as we seek God. And we need to realise each day how much we need Jesus. Because I believe we need him more and more each day. I find that and I'm sure it's the same for many of us. And God has got great plans for us. He has wonderful plans for each and every one of us. And the challenge for us as Christians is to seek God in a deeper way, to seek those opportunities 
Because I'm a firm believer we're like the men with the talents. If we use the talents wisely, God provides more and more and gives us more to do as we are ready for it, as we serve him. And as we seek God, God will use each and every one of us for his glory. And the challenge for us is to ask for those opportunities, to actually knock and ask for them, and to receive them and glorify them and do them, to embrace them when they come along. And as I bring this sermon to a close, I encourage you to spread the good news of Jesus. The good news are the freedom we all have in Christ. As that song, The Colours of Day, we sang earlier, I don't know if anybody knew that song, but I discovered that a few weeks back, and I found it an absolutely amazing song. It talks about, you know, let the fire burn. But as well, if you look at the verses, each and every one is, go into the park, go into the town, go into here, go into there. Go everywhere to share the fire, to share the freedom of Christ. And he has brought a liberation to this world that is unsurpassed and will never be surpassed. At the end of Deuteronomy, the Bible says there's been nobody like Moses. And then at the start of the Gospels, we see Jesus. And Moses just pales into insignificance. He just disappears in comparison to Jesus. Moses was seen as a benchmark, and then Jesus came along and just totally changed everything. And through Jesus, we have that true liberation and freedom that had arrived, and we can celebrate that today through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, my encouragement for each and every one of you, is also, first of all, to cast off our own yokes, to ask God for those yokes be cast off us, but also to liberate this world with the power of the gospel from the shackles of fallen humanity. I like that phrase. I worked hard on that one. And we, we will sing about that later on in Amazing Grace. But last night, as I was finishing off this sermon, because that's kind of the sermon done, um, I listened to a song, and I was just doing a bit of, you know, adding in and stuff like that, and I had a bit of a nightmare. The computer restarted on me, and I'd say this is a read-only, so I couldn't actually change the typed version. So I'm putting all these notes in. Listen to this song, and I suddenly thought, well, that fits in now. That really, really fits in so I then had a half an hour of stress trying to get a copy for free somehow, which I managed to do. So um, I'm going to get our magicians up there to uh, play If We've Ever Needed You by Casting Crowns. It's a song about if we ever needed you, we need you now, about how the world calls out for Christ. And so we're going to listen to that song and then we're going to have a time of prayer of intercession. <laughs>